Well, good morning, Northridge. Oh, thank you. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking in your head right now, man, Brad, how did you become so good looking? Uh, that's not the truth. The truth is, is I'm not Brad Powell, um, but I am one of the newest members of the Northridge team. My name is Chris Crutchley, and I am the uh, campus pastor to our campus in Brighton. And man, what a privilege. Oh, thank you. What a privilege it is to be with you guys today. If, if it is your first time here, I want you to know that we are one church in four locations. So Grosil, Celine, and my favorite, Brighton, welcome. We are so glad you chose to bear the cold winter and join us today. Uh, man, it is, it is extremely, extremely cold. And I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but I'm not from around here uh, uh, my wife and my four children, we were all born, and my wife and I were raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So, yeah, this, this, is, this is cold. Um, you know, our, our journey from Atlanta to Michigan has been filled with a whole bunch of just really unplanned situations. I'd be interested, have you ever found yourself in an unplanned situation? So, like, literally, moving here, you know, we interviewed in early September, and uh, interview with, with Brad and our senior pastor who was saying, hey, Chris, you're going to love it here. You know, literally, it's like 75 degrees year-round. <laughs> so you, you can imagine our, our first morning in our new home in Brighton, it was really cold. You know, I was like, this is an unplanned situation. But literally, he, he didn't say, that wasn't the full truth, but, you know. <laughs> Brad, but you know, it really was such an unplanned situation and, and no sooner than we moved in, so we got all the boxes in our house, um, we closed the, the garage door because our, our boxes were in the garage and we don't want people, people to think we were hoarders, um, so we closed the garage door and literally the snow started falling and like the first day it was like, this is beautiful, you know, like th th this is really cool and then day two and three and we're starting to get a little worried, you know, like well, what do we do, you know, in Atlanta when snow falls, we, we go to the grocery store and we buy everything needed for French toast. It's milk, eggs, and uh, bread, and then we don't do anything until it disappears. Um, but the snow didn't disappear. It stayed, and so I'm like, well, we're going to have to get out and do something. And so I was like, well, you know, I need to shovel my driveway. I was really excited to shovel my driveway. And I, in fact, in preparation for shoveling my driveway, I experienced really my first unplanned situation. I I put on my winter clothes and I walked out the front door and I realized really quickly that Atlanta winter clothes is more like Michigan spring and fall clothes. <laughs> uh, I w was not ready for that bitter cold that like soaked through my jacket and my toes were wet. Like I had all the wrong things and so my wife and I quickly, we scrambled like let's go to the store. We went to Costco. We bought everything winter for our kids and us. You know, now I own like 10 winter jackets because I will never be cold again. Uh, but we, we scrambled because it was really an unplanned situation. But now that I had the right clothes, I was prepared. I'm going to go shovel my driveway. Like, I, you know, I live in Michigan. Like, I'm so excited to do this. Like, I want to be able to say I shoveled my driveway. And so I get out and I start shoveling this tensions of snow. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, like, I'm having so much fun for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, like, this was hard work, you know, like literally an hour and a half later, my driveway is clean and I'm, I'm, I'm standing back and I really do, I have this, this feeling of accomplishment. Like I've, I did it. Like I am now an officially, I, I live in Michigan. I know how to shovel my driveway and I'm standing there just admiring my work and, and then this truck pulls into my cul-de-sac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. 
And I was like, this is, oh, this is a cool thing. You know, this huge truck pulls in. He's got a plow. I said, oh, look, this, watch, you know, they're, they're cleaning the streets, Eli. My son, six years old, we're, we're watching, kind of enjoying it. And then he dumps all that snow at the foot of my driveway. Like, completely unplanned situation. Like, I was not prepared for that. You know, it's like, you know, when we experience unplanned situations, really, it, it, it pulls from us a response. Like, we, it pulls from us some way we respond. Like, I was, like, confused and slightly angry. Like, I just worked really hard to do that, you know. Like, I remember I was driving in. Um, I was coming in to work because you guys, you know, and now, now me, I'm learning. We exist in the snow. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to drive from Brighton uh, to the Plymouth location. And so I'm getting my car, come down the highway, get on North Territorial. And I experienced this, this unplanned moment, the situation. I'm, I'm driving and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the road disappears. Yeah, yeah, you've seen this before. It's like, it's just a blanket of white. There's no lines. There's no road tracks from other cars. It's just me and, and a whole bunch of white. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to end up in someone's field. You know, I'm going to hit a cow or something. Like, I'm just, I'm, 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 <laughs> the response was fear. Because when we experience unplanned situations, it draws from us a response. And I, I, I wonder... How do you respond to unplanned situations? And now the truth is this morning is that all of my snow stories, my experiences for the last month, these are really first world problems. You know, I now own a snow blower. I will never do that shoveling thing again. Uh, uh, really, it, they are first world problems. And, and the truth is, is that sometimes uh, we experience life altering unplanned situations. And when we experience those, how do you respond? Like, what was your response when you found out that you were losing your job? What was your response when you, you got home and you realized the water line had frozen and busted and it, it, it flooded your basement and it's a complete loss? What was your response when you had to assume all that credit card debt unexpectedly or that, take on those school loans and now the credit card of the debt is just, it's just mounting up? How did you respond to those things? Uh, how did you respond when you found the mortgage crisis that your home was at this value and now it's half of that value? Or how did you respond when the, the market crashed and your retirement was cut in half? Like these unplanned situations draw from us a response. What's your response? What was, what was your response or how would you respond when the doctor called and, and delivered that diagnosis? Or he told you, you have this uncurable sickness. Like, what's your response to these true, life-altering, unplanned situations? How did you respond? How would you respond? What was your response when you found out that you're getting a divorce? You know, when unplanned situations cross our path, it draws from us response, and it's extremely important today that we understand that we begin to know and process what would our response be when we experience life-altering, unplanned situations, because here's the truth today that I want to un uncover for you guys today. Our response to unplanned situations is one of the most tangible ways for people to see Jesus in us. I want to make sure you heard me. Our response to unplanned situations is one of the most tangible ways for people 
to see Jesus in us. You know, here at Northridge Church, we're all about waking the world up to Jesus. That's what we want to accomplish. And for that, to, for that to happen, we need to make sure that people see Jesus in us, especially when we, when we chart our territories, when we experience life-changing, unplanned uh, situations. And so today, we're going to uh, jump into the book of Psalms. Uh, the story is about a guy named David, and David uh, is a really cool I mean, character in the Bible because we, we learn so much about it. We actually see uh, his whole life. We see it from beginning to end. And in this, uh, this, there's a word coming here. In this specific story, that, that word is a little uh, hard to say sometimes. We realize, man, David is experiencing an unplanned situation. Something he couldn't have prepared for and man, it's, it's, it's hard. And his response in the midst of this is spectacular. So if you guys would join me. We're gonna be in Psalm 40. I'm gonna read verses one through three and then we'll see what happens. So it says, David, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So what's interesting about David's writing and what we see here is he's not going to be very specific about what he's experiencing. He doesn't tell us what's happening. But what he does, he, he paints a picture for us so that we can actually, thousands of years later, connect with the emotions that he's feeling. So what he says is he's in a pit. And he's not being literal. He's describing for us a situation or a scenario or a picture so that we know, hey, what he feels like is he's in something that's deep and dark. And so a pit for them would be a well or a cistern, which would be a place where water used to be. They draw water from. And at this time, this, this pit would be an empty well. So there's no more water in it. And what's left at the very bottom, at the deepest, darkest place of this well, would be this thick he says, miry bog, it would be mud. And he says that he's in this pit. So he's obviously fallen and he's stuck in this, this deep mud. And he, and he feels helpless. And he wants us to understand his emotions. So he, he's stuck and he feels helpless because it's like quicksand. No matter how hard he tries to free himself from this pit, what happens is he seems to just be getting deeper and deeper and deeper. He's stuck in all the feelings that would come from being somewhere dark and deep. He would be alone. He'd feel all by himself. Like, what do I do here? What do I say? I mean, like, I'm trying to get out of this, this unplanned situation, but I seem to only be stuck in getting deeper and deeper. And I'm, I'm fearful for my life. I'm worried. And all these emotions become you know, real to him. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm, gonna, I'm stuck here. What's going to happen? And he goes on to describe it not only as a pit, but this is a pit of destruction. And destruction, the picture here is stormy waves. So he's stuck, he's alone, he feels abandoned, and there's danger looming. It's on the horizon, something's coming that threatens to destroy him. And this is where we find David. And I, I'm wondering this morning if any of you can connect to the emotions that he's feeling. Have you ever found yourself in an unplanned situation? And what you feel like is that you're all alone. You feel stuck. You feel abandoned. You're worried if you're gonna make it through. 
you're doubtful you can make it through. You feel like it's overwhelming. It's gonna overtake you. This is where we find David today. But what's interesting about David's story is his response. This is why it's so important. David's response not only uh, changes his outcome, it dictates his outcome, but also people see God in him. So let's see how he responds. So he's stuck in a pit, and it says that he cries out to God, that God heard his cry. He, he cries out to God. This is his first step. He didn't call in advisors. He didn't assemble the armies. He didn't get on Twitter and tweet. Um, you know, he, he cries out to God. And when I say the word cry, the word cry affects us all differently. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people in here, you know, and, and there's a huge spectrum, like a huge pendulum of what we believe and what we think about crying. Some of us in the room here today are, I mean, we're in tune with our emotions, and we would say that we cry often, that we're, we don't mind crying. Like, we cry a lot. Like, we cry when the squirrel crosses the road, and we ran it over this morning. I'm sorry. Um, we, we cry, you know, at ribbon cuttings, we, you know, sad movies. Like, we cry often. And as you move the pendulum, you find people, hey, you know what? You don't mind crying, but you're more of a, a secret crier. You know, like, you cry in the, the privacy of your home with friends and family, but it's not, you'll never express emotion in a movie theater or in a, in a place where people can actually see you. Like, and then as you move the, move the pendulum, you find there are people who are like, listen, uh, uh, crying is an expression of vulnerability, which I believe is a weakness, so I don't ever cry. I don't cry because I don't want you to think I'm weak. And then as you move, you find there's people who are like, crying makes me feel really awkward, and I just, I don't want to be around people who are crying, and I don't, I don't want to cry because I don't know what to do. Like, this is the, you know, the spectrum of people who cry. I remember early in my marriage, I actually, my first year of marriage, my wife, Jamie, and I, um, you know, we were learning how to uh, live together, you know, like how to work this whole marriage thing out. And um, I, we made this promise to ourselves, to each other, like early, 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 you know, in the first month, hey, whenever we do something that offends or hurts each other's feelings, that we would let each other know. We wouldn't hold on to it. And so there was this one night, um, we were getting ready for bed, and I can tell something is, something's just not right. You know, Jamie is, she's quiet, um, she's kind of distant, um, she's like answering me in one word, you know, for a yes, no, you know, I'm like, gosh, I've done something. You know, like, that's the typical husband response. Um, you know, and I'm thinking in my mind, what have I done? I'm replaying the day. Like, what did I say? What did I do? And I can't remember anything. So we're, we're laying in bed, and, you know, um, Jamie is, you know, facing the wall, not me. I'm like, hey, did I, did I do something to hurt you? Like, are, are you okay? And she rolls over and faces me. And, and when she turns over, I realize she's, she's been crying. Like, tears are coming out of her eyes. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, what did I do? You know, like, I just can't in my mind remember, like, how did I hurt her so bad? And, and I'm oblivious to it. And so she begins to tell me that I, I'd said something earlier that day and I kind of made a joke about her. And, and hey, guys, don't make your wives the brunt of your jokes. And so I made a joke about her and I didn't even realize I'd said it, but I did. I remembered it when she said it. And she's just expressing, like, how badly that hurt her. And I was like, oh, man, in my mind, I'm thinking, Fix this. That's what guys, you know, Chris, fix this. Whatever you gotta do, fix it, you know? And so she's expressing this emotion. I'm thinking, what can I do? Like, how do I want, how do I let her know that I'm here and I'm present and I'm, I'm, I'm apologetic, I'm so sorry and it'll never happen again. All these things are going through my mind and then it clicks. Chris, wipe the tears from her eyes. Like, be a good husband, be sympathetic and just let her know, hey, you know, I'm just gonna wipe the tears from her eyes. And I'm like, what am I gonna do that with? Well, the sheets, right? I mean, like, the sheets are right here. 
like take the sheet and, and wipe the tears out of her eyes. Like this would be great. It could be a moment. It's going to be like sympathetic. It's going to be loving. It's going to be romantic. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And so I grab the sheets and this evening, the sheets are tucked in really tight. <laughs> I remember like they're at our shoulder length. And I'm like, I'm, I'm pulling really hard, but not to try to make it obvious that I'm doing something because that'd be awkward. And I'm, I'm pulling really hard on the sheet and all of a sudden my hand slips off and Bang. <laughs> Punch her right in the face. I mean, yeah, what do you do? Like, now she's not crying because she was emotional. She's crying because I've, I've punched her, you know? Like, this is, this is not going good. I'm a horrible husband. Um, but just so you know, my wife is here today. She still loves me. So 12 years later, we're good. We have healed. Counseling was wonderful. Um, but crying affects us all differently. And here's what I want you to see today is that David cries often. Like he expresses this deep emotion often. It says this in Psalm 6, 6. Uh, David's speaking, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with tears, with my weeping. I mean, this, this guy is a crier. Like he lets his emotion be expressed and be, be seen. It's, it's coming from his face and the couch he's sitting on is wet. It goes on in Psalm 56, 8. He says this, He's speaking to God. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. I mean, God needs a, a bottle to catch all this man's tears. David cried often. He expressed emotion often. And so being a father of, of four kids, to I, I, be honest with you guys today, I'm a professional when it comes to distinguishing a real cry from a fake cry. Like, I, I'm a pro. Like, I just, I just know it. My wife, you know, kind of rolls her eyes at me sometimes. But I know when one of my children is releasing a fake cry to get their way. You know, they want their brother to lose that toy or they want to get somebody in trouble. I just know it. But most of us in the room, if you're a parent, um, but almost all of us in the room have heard that, that one cry that a child can release. That when they, when they cry this specific cry, it stops you in your tracks. It's, it's that one cry that you know you stop what you're doing and you immediately go and find your child because you know this cry is a cry of desperation. Like Something's wrong and they need me now. You, you've all heard this cry. I'm, you know, I was, it was two years ago. Uh, my son Eli was four at the time and we were at our church in Atlanta and we were... Um, we decided to play this game of hide-and-seek in the church, which is the greatest place in the world to play hide-and-seek. This place would be amazing. One day we'll do that. Um, Brad would love it. Um, don't tell him I said that. So we, were, we decided to play hide-and-seek in the building, and how we played hide-and-seek was we played like 10 on 10. So 10 people would count, and 10 people would go hide. And you'd have five minutes to go and find as many of those 10 people as possible. On this particular occasion, my team, we were um, counting first and the other team was hiding. And my son Eli was like, hey dad, can I, can I go with you? Like, can I go and hunt and like seek these people out with you? I'm like, yes, you sure can, son. Like, this would be awesome, like a father-son bonding moment, you know, my four-year-old. And so the time comes where it's time to go and search and find these people. So Eli is my, my wingman. He's my right-hand guy. Wherever I go, he's right here, okay? And we're running into rooms, and what we do is we run into a room and we clear it. We just run the perimeter of the room, look under stages, behind curtains, and we clear the room, and then we exit the room. We try to find everybody we can. So we were running in and out of rooms, and he's right here by my side. 
we get into this one particular room. It's a special room at this church um, because in this room, uh, it's not a big room. It's more like a closet, but it has an escape hatch that goes to the roof. And a lot of times people, it's like 35 feet in the air. A lot of, people, a lot of times people will climb up it and they would, they would get into the very top of that hatch and just kind of hide because it was dark up there and no one would see you. And so that's really the only spot in this one room that you could hide. So I know you run in this room, you push the door, turn the switch, look up, no one's there, turn around and walk out. Run out, I was running. And so that's what I did today. I, I ran in that room, looked up, or turned the light on, looked up, turned around, ran out. And I, I didn't realize that my, my wingman had went in the room to search some of the little areas in that room. And it, no big deal, right? Ex- except for this door, when it latches, it, it, it locks from the outside. And so if you're on the inside, you're stuck. But in the, in the moment, I was so excited to win because I like winning. I, I turned and I, I ran out. And I didn't realize that I had left my wingman in that, that room. And there was like two minutes left. So I run out and I start clearing more rooms. And next thing you know, a few minutes have passed and we're all gathered together like in the, like the, the atrium of the church. And we're talking about who hid where and how many people did we find. And we found them all because we win. And, uh, you know, my wife in this most like, just sweet voice said, hey, Chris, where's, where's Eli? I'm like, oh, he's, um, he's, re- uh-oh. <laughs> He was, he was right here. I don't, I don't know where he is. And so you have that little moment of panic, you know, parents, you know, like, I've lost my child. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to retrace my step. And, like, everyone in that moment panics with me. So, like, all the students and adults were all scattering this church for Eli. And my, my worst fear is that he's run out of door. It's dark outside. He's out in the woods somewhere. But I'm, I'm running and I'm retracing my steps. And as I get closer to that room, I begin to hear a faint cry. I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I hear him. And as I, I, I run in, this room was in a, a big theater, so I run into that theater, and I'm going to that room. As I get closer to the door, I realize my son is not faintly crying. He is screaming for his life. So I run, and I, I open the door to find my son Eli on his knees, weeping, begging me to come and get him. I will never forget this moment. As quick as I could, I, I, I reach down, I pick him up, and I hold him. And through his tears and his fear, he begins to express these emotions. Daddy, why did you leave me? Daddy, did, did you forget about me? Daddy, Daddy, I was trying to get out. I was pulling on the door, but Daddy, it was stuck. I, I couldn't get out. No matter how hard I tried, I, I just couldn't get the door to open. Daddy, why did you leave me? And I, I'm sitting in that moment, and I'm just... I'm in shock. I'm holding him. I'm trying to comfort him and, and just let him know I, I didn't mean to. I love you. And, and, and comfort him. You know, what I find interesting about this moment is what my son does. You, you know, he approached me in a really raw and authentic cry. You know, he didn't like gather his composure and be like, uh, hey, dad, I just want you to know it's probably not wise to leave your children behind. You know, like, hey, dad, it, it'd probably be a good thing for you to keep an account on where I am at all times, not leave me around the place. You know, it's like, he didn't approach me with like this well put together thought. No, he, he approached me with a real, genuine, authentic cry, an expression of how he was feeling. And this is how David approached God. He went at God with exactly how he was feeling. I feel stuck. I feel alone. 
I feel abandoned. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm doubtful. He approaches God with this. And what he does next is absolutely amazing. The Bible says that he waits patiently on the Lord. I'm like, that just ruined the story for me. I, I hate patience. I mean, patience is the worst thing that he could have done. I'm like, couldn't someone have brought him a ladder? You know, like, couldn't someone just freed him up? Could someone just remove him from the situation? But no, it says that he waits patiently. And I, I know for everyone in the room today, listen, patience is not just hard for me. I know it's hard for you too, because I've been in Myers. I, I've been in Walmart and Home Depot and I have seen self-checkout lines. They created self-checkout lines for all the impatient people. We don't want to wait in lines. We don't want to stop and stand and, you know, we, we, want, we want to get in and out as quick as we possibly can. You know, like, we don't like patience. I mean, uh, in reviewing this message and kind of studying for it, I was looking for the things in our life that show that we are impatient people. And I, I was looking back at some of the history of our of cell phone and the speed of cell phones. You know, like a few years ago, they released this thing called 3G and it was a big deal. Like 3G was a fast internet, you know, a connection for a device or a data plan. And then, and then 3G wasn't fast enough for us. We're still impatient. So they came up with what? 4G, Right. Like the next number, you know, in like 20 years, we're gonna have like 37G. No, it was, so it was 4G. I'm like, well, that's, we can't keep doing this, but the best now is LTE because we don't wanna be, we don't wanna have slow internet. We don't wanna have to wait for things. We need, we need it fast. We need it now. We don't wanna be patient. If you ever watch me on my phone, you'll see me. If I click on a button and I need an app to load or, or Safari to take me to a web page and it doesn't go fast enough, I like click it a couple more times. You're know, like, I'm impatient. I wanna wait for it because, because patience is, is hard. Patience is, is difficult. Patience is not something we're naturally just gifted with. Patience takes work and effort. And all too often, because of the work that it takes, we just avoid it. And I'm here to say today that we cannot avoid patience. We have to embrace it and learn how to use it and be patient. In fact, the Bible teaches that it's extremely important for those who follow Jesus. It says this in Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I read this verse, I'm like, I want all those things. Like, I want renewed strength. I'm battling a cold right now. Like, I want it to disappear. I want renewed strength. I want to, I mean, how awesome would it be to mount with wings like eagles? This sounds amazing. I want to run and not be weary. I want to I walk and not faint. I want all these things. Well, how do you get them? Wait for the Lord. Hmm. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's, there's this love chapter, and it's teaching us this idea of love. And it says this. It says, you could speak with the tongues of angels, but if you have not love, you're nothing but a, a clanging cymbal. It says that you could, you could have all the faith in the world to even move mountains, but if you have not love, you're, you're nothing. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4 defines love. It says love is, love is patient. I mean, patience is extremely important for us. We have to learn to embrace it. Now, I know that you're getting really impatient with me talking about patience, so we'll move on. <laughs> so David, after he patiently waits on God, God does something amazing. It says God rescues him. He removes him from the pit of destruction. He, he places him on a rock. 
You know, what's so awesome is that God removes him from a place of insecurity, of doubt and worry, and God places him in a place of security, a stable foundation, a place where David can now see, where he was dark and alone, now he's, he's present and stable and visible. And I gotta be honest with you, a lot of us, when we experience unplanned situations, this is what we long for. We long to be removed from our situation. We long to be removed from that unplanned, uh, unprepared situation that came across our life. We just want out of it. And this is what happens to David. But God wasn't finished yet. God kept on. So not only is he placed him on a rock, but he says he gives him a new song. And this song, this song is David's story. It's a story of redemption, of salvation. It's a story of what God did in his life. And when David tells this story, when he sings this song, the Bible says that many will fear the Lord and put their trust in him. How awesome is that? You see, it was his response in an unplanned situation that gave tangible evidence of who God was in his life. It was his response that showed everyone around him this is who God is. And I think a lot of us in the room today, would, we, we want that. Uh, we want for what we're going through to resemble to the world who God is in our life, what we believe, who we believe in. But it's hard. That first response is difficult. It's like, wh- what do we do? How do we do? What's the application, Chris? How do I? Okay, I, I agree. I'm in that unplanned situation. What do I do now? And, and the truth is, it's, it, it is what Brad actually said last week. He said this. He said, if you want to experience God's best, you must go after God's ways. And we actually see God's ways in David's life. David cries out to God. So here's my, here's my application question for you. When you experience an unplanned situation, who do you cry out to first? Who do you go to? I mean, a lot of us in the room, you know, we go to a friend or family member. Some of us, we go to social media, we go to Facebook, and we, we put out our unplanned situation. We go to the world first, and we let the world speak first, because what we're looking for is, we're looking for some sympathy. Like, can you believe what happened to me? Can you believe this happened? How unfair. What am I gonna do? I feel alone. You, you reach out for sympathy and you want justification for the, your experience. Like, this is so unfair, right? Like, who else agrees with me? Like, we reach out to the world and we allow the world to speak first. But here's, I wanna tell you this today. Our friends and our family and social media and that world, they can't, they can't rescue us. But if you would cry out to God first, listen to what the Bible says to us. In Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things you haven't known. Call to me and I will respond. I will show up, I will answer you and I will reveal to you. I will show you things, the things that were hidden that you didn't know, I will answer if we call to him first. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says this, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety, your fear, your worry, your doubt on him. Who? Jesus. Why? Because he cares.
Go to him first. Call to him. Crowd to him first. Let him have what you're feeling. Let him, let him have your emotions and your fears and your worries and your, and your doubts and, and, and all the emotions that you feel because he cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest. Man, that's what we long for. When we experience an unplanned situation and when our emotions are heightened, when fear sets in, when we don't know how we're gonna get through, when what we're facing seems insurmountable, it seems like it's gonna overtake us. What we long for is just peace. We long for, for rest. The world doesn't offer us that. Jesus does. And so after he, yeah, thank you. That's not me. And so after David cries out, he waits. And man, I can't say this enough. Waiting is hard. Patiently waiting on God is is difficult. It's not natural. But I can tell you some things today. I, I know when I'm being patient because there's some fruit that's revealed in my life. And I'm gonna share these with you today so that you can too also know, like, hey, here's some guardrails to know when you're patiently waiting on God. You know, when I patiently wait, it's in my patience that I gain perspective. With whatever I'm going through, you know, I begin to see that, hey, maybe it's not only my side, maybe there's other sides in this. It's like, it's like I'm not only seeing what I know, but I'm beginning to see there's more to the situation than what I first saw. I, I get perspective. And in my perspective, in my patience, I begin to see there's opportunity. Like as I, I patiently wait, I, I, I've gained perspective. I now see there's, there's actually opportunity around me. You know, this is really clear when it comes to my parenting and my children, you know, like, when they're, dis, when they're disobedient or, or dishonest, when they're, when they're not acting the way I would like for them to act or behave the way I need them to behave, instead of just harshly speaking to them or saying something that I'm gonna regret later, I see, when I'm patient, I see opportunity to teach them and to, and to, to be eye to eye with them and, and help them learn this behavior is wrong. I help teach them instead of just trying to correct and move on. It's in my patience. I gain perspective. I see opportunity. And then the last thing is I become content. Like this is when I know I'm, I'm practicing patience. I become content. Like it's okay, God, I, I now have perspective. I see the opportunities among, among me. And I'm content in the situation that you have me in. Like this is when I know I'm being patient. And in these moments, when we're patient, we're letting God do something amazing. So it became clear to me a few years ago. Um, Eli was just born, and so my wife for Father's Day surprised me. She was gonna take me and a couple of our friends um, to this vineyard. It was in North Georgia. This man um, had... He created a vineyard over like 400 acres of land. It's this beautiful, magnificent area. And uh, he, we were gonna go and we we're gonna take a tour with him throughout the vineyard. And he was gonna teach us and show us what it, what it means to tend to a vineyard. And so we're out there with him one beautiful, it was Father's Day, it was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We're walking through this vineyard in and out of vines and he's teaching us about grapes and he's teaching about pruning. Like we're looking at these huge 
clusters of grapes, like clusters of grapes that would feed my kids for a year. You know, like just gigantic. And he pulls one off, like he cuts it off and he lays it on the ground. I'm like, oh, are we gonna eat that? You know, that looks really good. And he's like, no, 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 we're just gonna, it's just gonna decay. It's gonna rot right there. I'm like, why, why don't you, it was good grapes. Why don't you do that? And he goes, oh, it was, it was keeping the other three from being their best. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're, I, I get it, pruning. I, I, I see it, you know, I'm making these connections and we keep progressing through the, through the vineyards and he's showing us all these things, teaching us about the weather and how it affects. I mean, we're just, I'm just learning all this stuff. And the last few minutes we were there, he, he said this one thing that completely changed my experience. He was telling us the history of when they started this vineyard and he said, you know, it, it made a lot of people mad, but he decided that he would not harvest his grapes for five years once they planted the vines. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, like, you mean no, no money? You're not selling anything? He said, nope, nope, nope. We weren't gonna make a dime off of this vineyard. These 300 acres or 400 acres of vines producing beautiful grapes, we weren't gonna do anything for the first five years. And I was like, well, what did you do? He said, we just let them rot, decay. I said, well, why did you do that? And he said, because it was the fifth year that these vines would produce their best fruit. In that moment, I just kind of got quiet. Like, I, I realized what God was trying to teach me. Hey, hey, he's, God was like saying, hey, Chris, it's in your patience that I begin to produce a fruit in you that's so good, it's, it's actually the best. And when the world sees it, they long for what you have. It's patience. And your patience is important for us. As believers in Jesus, we have to be patient so that God can produce in us a fruit that is so good that the world longs for. I mean, that's what we're gonna do, wait, wait up to Jesus. I think a lot of us in this room, we, we long for that. We long for the story in David's life. We long to, to do and be who he was. We long to crop to God first. Like, that sounds like a great idea. We long to be patient for God because we, we want him to rescue us and to put our feet on a rock and, and we want him to give us a song to sing so that the world hears and knows. But the truth is that there's a lot of us in the room today who've actually never cried out to God. There's some of us in the room today, we've never, we've never taken the moment to cry out to him and to share with him our, how we're feeling, our raw, real, authentic emotions. That, hey, I'm in this unplanned situation and I, I don't know how to get through it. I don't know what to do. I've tried on my own and I'm not getting anywhere. I need help. Some of us in the room have, have not actually cried out to God for that first time. And, and today, I would like to give you that opportunity. Now, I would love for you to join me, I'm, I'm, in just a few minutes we're gonna pray and I would love for you to make my words your own and, and call out to him. The Bible tells us this, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that we will be saved, we'll be rescued. And there's some of you here today who need to cry out to him. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna close our eyes and bow our heads right here in the middle of the service. And for those of you who have never cried out to God, I would encourage you, I'd, I'd ask you to take my words and make them your own and say this, Jesus, I'm crying out to you. I'm confessing to you that I've tried to do it on my own. And it's gotten me nowhere. Jesus, I acknowledge today that I'm sinful, that my ways are not your ways, and I need your help. Would you forgive me?
take my life and lead it the way you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you prayed that prayer with me today, I would be honored if you would let us know. Our senior pastor, Brad Powell, has actually put together a letter, and in this letter, he kind of lays out some next steps for you in this new journey of what it means to follow Jesus. And you know, if you pray that prayer today, that's what you're on. You're on a journey now of following him and becoming more like Jesus. And we wanna help you in that. We wanna walk with you in that, in that uh, new journey. And it's, it's easy to let us know. Simply, you can take out your program. And in your program, there's a perforated tab. It's a tear out, it's a connect card. Simply tear out that card, uh, fill out the appropriate information. And at the very bottom, there's, there's two uh, places for a check mark. Check the appropriate one. And then as you exit the auditorium today, drop it off in the box in any of our campuses, all of our campuses, drop it off and someone on our team will follow up with you this week. We would love to walk with you in that new journey. Uh, but maybe you're here today and you know, like you find yourself in an unplanned situation and you feel stuck and you're like, I don't wanna leave today without talking to someone. At the end of the service today, there'll be a team down front that would love to, to pray with you, to listen to you, to encourage you and to walk with you through what you're experiencing would you, you know, we'd be honored if you would come down and let us pray for you and hopefully be a blessing to you. Um, but before we close the service, I want to share just one story with you guys, one more story um, of how this kind of plays out in my life, what this whole idea of calling out to Jesus and, and patiently waiting for him looks like. You know, there's a story I want to share with you that happened almost 50 years ago um, that is still impacting my life today. So six years ago, my son was born, and in the hospital, my wife and I make this decision that we're gonna start you know, singing songs over our children's lives. Instead of you know, lullabies, like the Barney song, I love you, you love me. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, um, we, which we do sing. We do sing that often. Um, but instead of singing just that song, we're gonna sing songs of praise over our children, songs that, that worship Jesus and allow them to hear what our heart is affectionate towards, that we love God and we wanna serve him and worship him. And so one of the songs in the hospital that I just began singing to my newborn son was, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, and watch you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. So I'm, I'm singing this song, and it sticks. Like, this is the song we're gonna be singing. My wife picks up on it, and six years later, we've been singing this song almost every night to our kids, over our kids. And, you know, I was singing it a couple years ago, and I thought, you know, I, I probably should find out, like, I only know like three lines of this song. Like, there's, there's probably this huge song out there that I should be singing and I don't know. And so I, I began to do some research. And so I found out that I actually knew the whole song. That was it. Um, but it was written. Yeah, it's funny, huh? I was hoping for more, but that was it. It was written, uh, you know, in like 1970 um, by a 24-year-old girl. And I want to share her story with you today because it's, it's, it's remarkable. So Lori, she's married to Bill and she has a daughter um, a little girl, a toddler at the time. She says this, it was a dark time in my life. We had no extra money, no friends nearby, no church home, and my husband was always busy with his college studies. I didn't drive, so I, I couldn't get away. We lived on a highway in a mobile home, so I couldn't even put the baby in a stroller and go for a walk. Our only neighbors were people long retired and, and tired of life. When I needed some encouragement, there was no extra money for a long distance call to our family and friends. I was lonely. It sounds like Lori finds herself in a pit, stuck, alone. The only thing that I was committed to was trying to get up each morning before our baby, then a toddler, and spend some time with Jesus. 
I knew that was where life was. And she says, the day that the song came, I had gotten up early and was sitting with my Bible and my guitar. I realized that I, I didn't have anything in me to sing. I just didn't have anything to offer to Jesus. I was so empty. Uh, I wonder if you felt that way. So I prayed and said to the Lord, if you want to hear me sing, would you give me something that you would like to hear? Like, this is her cry out. Like, she, she cries out to him. God, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't have anything to sing. Would you give me the words? So she starts strumming on the guitar, and the first words came out of her mouth. It was absolutely no effort. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul rejoice. I scribbled them on a piece of paper like, just in case I wanted to remember them and sing them again one day. Those words meant a lot to me. I, I wondered actually if I could even play it again, if I would even remember what I just said. So I begin to play, and I sing those two lines again. They were still there in my mind and in my heart. And the last two lines flowed just as easy and effortlessly as the first two had come. It was a gift from God, and it just wrote itself. And, and though it's a very simple song, she says, it changed everything for me. And it's still changing from my life today. When you're in a dark valley and the Lord gives you light, it makes all the difference and keeps you growing. She says it's still changing her life today. Listen to this. 50 years ago, someone was in a pit. Lori was. She was alone. She felt abandoned. And she cries out to God. And she sat there and just waited on him. And he began to give her words. He began to rescue her. And in this song that he gave her, she began to sing it. She began to sing it to the world so that many would hear. And 50 years later, I'm now singing this song to my children. And here's my hope. My hope for my children is this, that when they find themselves in an unplanned situation, that their first response would, begin to, would be to begin to sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul rejoice. I long for that for my kids, that they would cry out to God first, and I, I long for that for you today also. If you're experiencing something, it's life-altering, it's an unplanned situation, you don't, to, don't know what to do, I, I encourage you to cry out to God and wait patiently on him. And when he delivers you, because I know he will, and when he gives you that song to sing, that story to tell, I pray that you tell it with all that you are so that we together can wake the world up to Jesus. Hey, Northridge, thanks for being here today. It was a pleasure and an honor. We love you guys. Thank you. Uh, you're dismissed. We'll see you all next week.